Thank you. It has been a fun series, and it's going to be fun wrapping it up today. So let me welcome all of y'all here on our campus, everybody joining us online as well. I hope you had a good Thanksgiving. I hope you were around people you actually like and uh, not that crazy uncle. Now, you know, if, if you don't know who the crazy uncle is in your family, there's a good chance you might be him, all right? That's how that works, okay? So uh, hopefully you had a good time. We went down to Atlanta, got to do two Thanksgivings, one on Thursday with Morgan's side of the family, one on Friday with uh, my side of the family. It was awesome. We have on my parents' side of the family, there's nine grandkids, eight of them are boys, okay? So um, when you get eight boys together on Thanksgiving to play football and nobody breaks a bone, that's a win. So we were happy about that. And uh, we got back up here yesterday and I gotta be honest with y'all, the whole way driving up here, uh, back home, all I could think was, I cannot wait to be with y'all on Sunday. So it is good to be here. And I'm excited about this series. I'm excited about wrapping up this series. And if you're just jumping in for the first time today, welcome. We're honored you're here. What we've been talking about is how all of us in an area of our life are facing a plan B reality. Things aren't going the way we hoped they would. It's a circumstance we would not choose or prefer. And yet, by looking at the life of Joseph from the Old Testament, 14 chapters in the book of Genesis, who lived a plan B reality, we see how God meets us in our plan B, plan B realities as well. So if you've missed any of the messages, they are all posted on our website, on our YouTube channel. Uh, you can go back and watch those or just pay special attention today and I will save you some time, right? So what I'm gonna do today, summarize the whole thing. So the title of today's message is three big takeaways from plan B. So my hope is a week from now, a month from now, let's get crazy, a year from now, when you think of Joseph, when you think of plan B, that these are some things that can come back into your mind and hopefully continue to guide you moving forward. And what you're gonna see in these three kind of takeaways is some of them we've kind of talked about already, pretty straightforward, and then others are more summary statements of some themes that we've kind of looked at in this story. And so if you're taking notes today, let me go ahead and encourage you to get ready. I'm gonna give these to you. I am gonna spend a little bit more time on the first one, and that's important for you to know because when I'm 20 minutes in on the first point, you're gonna get worried because you're gonna be like, he's gonna keep us here all day. You got nowhere to be, all right? You got nowhere to be, it'll be fine, all right? But no, all kidding aside, the first one's gonna take the most time and then we'll get to the other two, all right? So plan B, three takeaways from this entire big series. Here's the first one if you are taking notes today. We are stewards, not owners of our time, talent, and treasure. So we're talking about this word stewardship. So when it comes to our spiritual growth, there are certain markers along the way. Now, none of us are doing this perfectly. God doesn't expect perfection from you, but he does expect you to pursue after him and not the things of this world. And part of our spiritual growth is that all of us have to get to a place in our lives where we begin to recognize we actually aren't the owners. God has called us to be the stewards. That's true for everything in our life. Hey, parents, your children do not belong to you. Didn't get as many amens on that one. <laughs> Parenting is a stewardship. God created those children. God knit them together in their mother's womb. He has a great purpose and plan for their lives, and he has entrusted them to you forever long he sees fit. Hey, if you're married, your spouse does not belong to you. Even fewer amens. <laughs> okay? 
So before Morgan was my wife, she was my sister in Christ. Marriage is a stewardship. God is allowing me to serve her as her husband for however long he sees fit. And then one day for all of eternity, we will be brothers and sisters in Christ again. See, when we really begin to start thinking about this idea of stewardship, we see how it applies into every area of our lives. And my contention is that when you read through God's word, Joseph is the first character that gives us a clear picture of stewardship and action. So let me give you the verse, and then we're gonna spend a little time unpacking this. Genesis 41, 41. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Pharaoh never abdicated the role of Pharaoh. He never gave Joseph the title of Pharaoh, but he did put Joseph in a position where Joseph had to steward everything in the land of Egypt. And Joseph did this well. He was able to handle the seven years of plenty so that nobody starved during the seven years of the famine. And it's a picture of stewardship. And we're called to be stewards of every area of our life, but specifically time, talent, treasure. So let's talk about your talents, okay? Every gift, every ability, every talent that we possess, God gave those to us and he didn't give them to us for us. He gave them to us so that we could use them to bring glory to him. And you have gifts, you have talents, you have abilities. So many times we miss the gifts, the talents, and the abilities that God has given us because we're focused on what we don't have. We're focused on the talents that we don't possess. I know I do this. So I love music, okay? When when our worship team leads us, I'm so grateful. Can can we thank them for how they lead us every single week? It's incredible, okay? And if I can be honest with y'all, deep down inside, I feel like I should be up here with them. Thank you, right? We can sing too, right? But they make us go through this process, right? And so when I sing in my mind, I sound just like John. I really do. I really do. But see, some people, when they sing our worship team, you know, they they make a joyful noise. I make a righteous racket. That's how it works, okay? So they're not gonna let me on the stage when it comes to singing. But if I'm not careful, I can focus on what I don't have and miss. God, God only gave me two gifts. Two gifts, I can read and I can talk. And I've ridden them this far. All right, that's how it works, okay? So all I can do is read and talk. Those are the things God gave me. So you gotta, at some point, recognize, wait a second, God's given me some gifts, some talents, some abilities, not for me, but for him. What about our time? You realize that our entire life is a gift. It's the gift of life, how we use our time. This is not dress rehearsal. We only get to do this once. And so everything about how we spend our time is, is, is in a way that we bring honor to God. And then, and then resources, treasure. The Bible has a lot to say about how we handle money. We all have to get to a place in our life where we acknowledge, hey, God owns it all. He allows some of it to pass through my hands. He entrusts some of it to me. And then God says, how will you steward these financial resources? And the Bible has a lot to say about that. Jesus actually talked a lot about money. Let me give you a quick little verse that Jesus said. Luke 16, 11. If you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? Like Jesus is saying, hey, God looks down and sees how you steward financial resources and in a supernatural way determines whether or not you're actually ready for his blessing. Okay? Jesus talked more about money than heaven and hell combined. And so what I wanna do is is I wanna kind of use this principle of stewardship as a launching pad into 
a Christmas offering. And so it's the Christmas season. Congratulations, you've made it. It's November 26th, you better get to work. There's a lot of things we gotta get done over the next month. And one of the things we do here as a church is we go into a special Christmas offering every year. And, and it's really an opportunity for us to demonstrate good, sound stewardship principles when it comes to the resources we've been entrusted with. So I wanna spend a little bit of time talking about this today. I wanna tell you what it is. I wanna tell you some initiatives and let you know how you can be a part of it. So first of all, let me give you the name. The name of our special Christmas offering this year is our Right Now Special Christmas Offering. There's five ministry initiatives. I'm gonna pack those here in just a second. But um, I wanna tell you kind of the genesis of this name. The, the Lord kind of started stirring this me in me a few months ago, and he was stirring it in me in a super spiritual way called football. And it is a super spiritual way, all right? So I coached a football team this fall. It was a 12 and under team. My middle son, Jacob, was on the team. We had 35 sixth and seventh graders, the East Chatham Chargers. I was the head coach, had amazing assistant coaches. And if I just might for a second, we went eight and oh in the regular season. So that's right, you better clap, you better clap, right? Show your pastor some love. Now, we lost in the playoffs. We're not gonna talk about that, all right? Not gonna talk about that. Talk about the good things. And so when you're trying to help sixth and seventh grade young men understand how to play football, you gotta make sure they understand the goal. Like the goal of this game is to score touchdowns. And the goal of the game is to win. Don't let anybody ever tell you differently, okay? If you're gonna play the game, play to win. And that's how we played. Did I mention we went eight? No, anyway, so anyway, so... Um, so we're strategizing and we're planning and we're calling plays and it can get complex. And sometimes you just have to like pull away from that and go, all right, big plan, big picture. We got this strategy, but we need to score. And so sometimes in a game, there's a, a, a situation that presents itself where I recognize as the coach, let's just kind of set the strategy aside. If we could get the ball in one of these two players' hands based on what the defense is doing right now, we could literally score right now. So if I can get the ball in 24's hand, number 24, number 13, we will score right now. And so I had to figure out how can we do this. And so um, I decided we're gonna come up with a special play that we call to get the ball in their hands right now. And the name of that play was Van Halen. You make the connection? They didn't, they're sixth and seventh grade boys. And so I had to explain this to them. There was this band called Van Halen. They sang a song called Right Now. And so the play that got the ball in, in, the, in the hands of number 24, number 13 was called Van Halen. So at any point in the game, if our quarterback started yelling Van Halen, everybody knew like we're running this play. If I started yelling Van Halen, everybody knew we're running this play. Get the ball in their hands right now. And y'all, I'm here to tell you, every single time we called Van Halen, we scored a touchdown. It was amazing. All we had to do was get the ball in their hands and good things would happen. And I started thinking about that and over the last five to six months of my life. So if you're new, I'm new, we can be new together, right? We moved here in June and uh, you know, it was just like, boom, let's go, you know, jump in the deep end of the pool and, and we're off and going and God's doing amazing things. And then over about the last six to eight weeks, I've have been asked this question a few times in the lobby or over lunch, you know, hey, you know, you're here now, you kind of got settled in. You know, where do you think God is taking us big picture as a church? Like, what is your vision? What is your long range plan for where we're going as a church? And that's a fantastic question. And what I've been doing for the last five or six months is I've actually been taking that question to the Lord. And I've been saying, hey God, where do you want us to go in the next 10, 15, 20, 25 years? God, what do you have next for New Hope Church? And, and church, let me just tell you, as God has begun to show me some of what I think he has in store for us, I think it's more than any of us could ever imagine. 
I think God's gonna do something in this church over the next 15 and 20 years that if he told us right now, we would just walk away and go, no, no. You mean we get to be a part of this? And so I'm pretty fired up about that. And over the next year or so, we're gonna have some different settings where we get together and we talk about some ideas and we dream and we brainstorm. And, and, and over the next 12 to 18 months, we're gonna start to kind of lay out like, hey, big picture, this is where God's calling us to go. But see, I believe there's just some things we need to take care of right now. Did y'all make the connection? Okay. Like sometimes in the efforts to kind of move forward in a big picture, you can lose sight of, hey, there's just some things that if we got knocked off of our list right now, it would really help us not only right now, but help us as we move forward into these big picture things that God has called us to. And so that's really the heart behind this offering. There's five specific initiatives that I believe that if we just go ahead and lean into in a very strategic way in 2024, we're gonna see God do awesome things through those, but it's also going to help us as we move forward into the future. So let me give you a little bit more clarity about the offering before I give you the initiatives. The right now special Christmas offering is a call to sacrificial giving with a goal of $500,000 for five important ministry initiatives in 2024, all right? Sacrificial giving. I'm gonna take an entire message in January and unpack what that phrase means. So let me give you a 60-second synopsis. We believe that in God's word, he teaches us that we should return to him the first 10% of the financial resources he has entrusted us with. The word the Bible uses for that is the word tithe. But when it comes to returning that, it's actually not giving. You're returning to God what he's says is already his, which by the way, is pretty awesome of our God, that he says it's 10%. Years ago, my wife and I were leading a life group and every couple in the life group, they had just become Christians. They were new in their faith. I had baptized all of them and we're in this group. It's about 10 years ago and we're having a discussion one night and somebody said, what does the word tithe mean? And I said, does anybody know? No one in the group knew what the word meant. They'd never heard of it before. And I said, it's really simple. It's where you return to God 50% of your income. That's all, right? (laughs) I figured I'm a pastor, let's see if it works. And I said, 50%. And they went, really? I get to keep the rest of it. No, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. It's a joke, right? It's a joke. New Christians sometimes have better perspective than the rest of us. So God says, no, you return 10, you get to keep 90. But then what you do with the 90% matters. So when it comes to sacrificial giving, we're talking about the 90%. It's above and beyond your regular tithe and offering. And the goal is $500,000. Now that's a big goal. That's a big goal, but I believe we can hit it. And here's why I believe we can hit it. Because this church is already incredibly generous. Incredibly generous. Sometimes when a church does a special offering, it's because you're behind in giving or the money's not going well. That's not the case here at all. We're doing this because we believe God wants us to lean in more. We believe God has some things for us. And so it's gonna be awesome to see all that God does. So let me give you that y'all like, will you just give us the initiatives? I can see it on your face. All right, so let me give you the initiatives and then we'll talk a little bit more about I'm, I'm a little fired up about these. I don't know if you can tell. All right, so five specific ministry initiatives for 2024. All right, here's the first one. Jehovah Nisi and Las Lomas Dominican Republic. We believe God, you didn't even let me read it yet. You're already fired up. I like it. Let's go. All right, that works. Now let me tell you what we're gonna do. All right, so We believe God wants us right now to help build the new kitchen and classrooms at Jehovah Nissi, our sister church in Las Lomas, Dominican Republic. So 
Pastor Ezekiel is here in October, and he talked about this a little bit, but they've outgrown their space. And so this is our sister church in the DR, and um, through Compassion, if you sponsor Compassion Child in this village, this is the church they come to receive their meals, to receive their education, to hear about Jesus, and they've outgrown their space. They're gonna build a new kitchen, they're gonna build new classrooms, they've got the land, they've got the blueprints. Uh, Pastor Ezekiel and I were looking at them and praying over them, and now it's just time to make it happen. So we're not paying for the entirety of this, it's a partnership, they're also helping pay for it, but some of you stopped me that Sunday and said, hey, how can I give to help make that happen? This is the way. So part of what you give to this special offering is gonna go to the completion of those classrooms, the completion of the kitchen. We're gonna show some pictures throughout the year. Many of y'all are gonna go down there and help do this, and it's gonna be awesome. And so just know that when you give, the first initiative is gonna go to help make that happen, all right? Second initiative for our Right Now Christmas offering, a new next generation ministry environment. We believe God wants us right now to renovate the indoor playground space into a new next generation ministry environment. Now we are not anti-indoor playground space, all right? Don't hear me saying that. But during the pandemic, we kind of stopped using that and then it's been used sporadically here and there and for different things. But what's become apparent really over the last six to 12 months is that we could probably steward that space a little better than what it's currently being used for. And so what we're gonna do is we're gonna remove the playground equipment and we'll donate it. We'll make sure that somebody gets to use it and ride slides to the glory of Jesus and it'll be awesome, okay? So don't worry about that. But now what we're gonna have is a big old empty room and that's really good news because see, here's what keeps happening. More and more kids and more and more teenagers keep showing up and we like that. We think that's a good problem to have, okay? So currently we have fourth and fifth graders in our student ministry space on Sunday mornings. And, and what that means is there's not even really an option for us to have a conversation about students on Sunday mornings. Now, I'm a former middle school pastor, and so I would love if we had something specifically for middle schoolers on Sunday mornings. So we're looking into that. Like maybe we could use that space, or maybe we could create something for the fourth and fifth graders and let the middle schoolers use the student ministry environment. Or maybe we could convert it into some preschool space, and so those of you who are little preschoolers don't have to go up to the second floor. We're looking at a number of options, and honestly, we're gonna ask for your feedback in this. So if you're a parent of a preschool or elementary or middle school, kid. In the new year, I'm going to reach out to you. We're going to schedule some lunches for 10 to 20 of us at a time. We're going to get together. And I just want to hear from you. I just want to dream with you, pray with you, listen to you. Um, because we've got kids in our kids ministry and our student ministry. And I'm a former middle school pastor and I, we're all in this together. And we've got this space. We want to steward it well. We're going to see some good things happen with it. And you're going to help us clarify specifically and strategically what that's going to look like in the new year. And part of what you give is going to help make that happen. Our third ministry initiative is stewarding well the worship ministry of New Hope Church. We believe God wants us right now to continue with upgrades in our technology so that we can steward well the worship songs God has entrusted us with. Many of you were at our night of worship. Oh yeah, oh yeah, you were there. <laughs> so hey, here's the thing. We said this over and over, that God has allowed these songs to really be birthed out of this house for this house but we believe he has plans and purposes for those songs beyond this house, okay? 
I think we're gonna see that start to happen in this new year. And part of how we continue to lean into that is to make sure that our technology keeps up. Now, if you've got a smartphone, you know that it will only do what it's capable of doing if the technology is upgraded. So think about that principle when it comes to a room like this, when it comes to everything that we do online. And what I'm simply saying is we don't wanna be the lid to the extent that God may want to spread and or use this, okay? So we gotta keep upgrading some things to make sure that we don't get in the way for what God may want to do with the worship ministry, with the worship songs um, beyond this house. And it's gonna be fun to see that and to celebrate that in the new year, but then just some of the stuff we need to take care of right now, uh, we're gonna do that through this special offering, all right? Fourth ministry initiative, our local ministry partners. We believe God wants us right now to continue supporting our local ministry partners in the triangle, whether that's the Durham Rescue Mission or the Fayetteville Street Elementary or doing what we're gonna do today with picking up Christmas gifts, Habitat for Humanity. We've got a number of partnerships that here in our local area in the triangle, and here's why. There are great needs in our community, great needs. And sometimes when a church identifies needs, God says, all right, you've identified the need, go ahead and take care of it. And, and that's the testimony of this church. New Hope Church has done that for two decades. And then sometimes there are needs that are so big that it makes a little bit more sense to partner with other churches and with specific ministries that exist solely to meet that need. So it's a both and. And we're gonna continue doing that with both. There's some things that we'll keep doing as a church. There are other things that we will partner with like we have to greater extents. Because I don't know if y'all have noticed, but needs aren't going away. And sometimes it's hard for people to hear the good news of the gospel message that there's a God who loves them, who sent his son Jesus for them when they've got a very tangible need like their next meal. Like where they're gonna get a coat for the winter. Like how just a week to week life is actually going to take place. And so part of what God's called us to is to make sure that we lean into that as well. And New Hope has done that well for so many years and we're just gonna keep doing that and take it to the next level in the new year. And part of your giving will go to help make that happen. And then finally, our fifth ministry initiative is to reach, teach and release in greater ways. We believe God wants us right now to do whatever it takes to reach people in greater ways in our community in 2024 with the good news of Jesus. You, you walk underneath those words every Sunday when you come onto our campus. Reach, teach, release. Literally for 20, over 20 years, that is what God has used to keep us moving forward. And all I'm simply saying is, hey, in this new year, we're gonna have to lean into that like never before. So let me kind of burst your Thanksgiving bubble. Let me kind of speak against the Christmas spirit for a second, okay? Because I don't know if y'all thought about this yet, and I'm gonna be the first one to tell you, and I don't want you to get mad at me, but we gotta start thinking about this, okay? In 2024, we gotta do another presidential election. Yeah, I feel the same way. Not because we have to elect another president, but because of what happened last time we did one, okay? And hey, Satan doesn't take a day off. He will do everything he can to divide us as a nation, to divide us as a church, to divide us as people. And part of what we have to do as the people of God is say, no, that's not going to happen. We're going to stay unified. We're not gonna just curse the darkness. We're gonna choose to be a light like never before. Okay, that's what we're gonna keep doing. See, I believe there are marriages God wants to save in this new year. 
I believe there are children in our community who are asking some pretty difficult questions that when we were kids, we never even considered. And I think God wants to rescue them through his son, Jesus. I think there's some teenagers in our community who contemplate suicide daily. And they need somewhere where there's a people who say, we love you here. You're welcome here. And see, I think that God actually wants to see, call me crazy, I think God wants to see those teenagers get baptized this year. I think that's what God wants to see, okay? That's not the question. The question is, is there a church that says, hey God, our yes is on the table. You just tell us where to go and what to do and we're in. That's what I'm saying. I believe that 2024 can be a year where we see more people meet Jesus, where we see more people baptized. Because see, when people go through something difficult in 2024, it's gonna be a difficult year, buckle up. When people go through something difficult, here's what they recognize, their need for a savior. There's a lot of people who live in the triangle. They kind of have what they need. Their life is going pretty well. It's not an easy concept for them to consider that they are a sinner in need of a savior and then something rocks their world and their heart is open. And I'm just saying, why don't we step into that opportunity, not with the good news of a church, but with the good news of Jesus Christ. So we're gonna do that in greater ways in 2024, okay? So what is my action step for you today? I wanna make sure I'm super clear about this. Whether you're on our campus or whether you're joining us online, I'm just asking you to begin to pray. To begin to pray. So the offering kicks off today. It's already posted on our website. You can give on our website. You can give using the offering envelope just right, right now there in the line. But it goes through January 31st. So as a church, we're taking between now and January 31st to give above and beyond our regular tithes and offerings to this special offering, but I'm giving you some time, okay? End of November, we're introducing this, and I just want you to pray about it, okay? It's not about equal giving, it's about equal sacrifice, okay? Hey, there's some of you, like giving $100 would hurt. There's some of you, giving $10,000 would not hurt. It's not about equal giving, it's about equal sacrifice. So if you're married, let me challenge you tonight, Instead of watching the next episode on whatever show you're watching, which I'm not against, okay? I can share with you the shows that we watch. But tonight, here's what I'm asking you to do. Don't do that. Begin to pray. God, over the next two weeks, would you unite our hearts on what you would have us to give, okay? If you've got kids, sit down with your kids and explain this to them. Help them see, hey, this is what our church is doing, and this is why, and these are the initiatives, and here's what's gonna be happening. And we as a family are gonna begin to pray about this and how God would have us to be a part of it. So tangibly speaking, here's what that means. You're getting one less Christmas gift this year. And we're gonna take the money that we would have spent for something that you'll be excited about for 48 hours and then throw into a closet and you'll never remember again. We're gonna take that money and we're gonna use it for kingdom purposes. Your kids will thank you for that one day. So take some time and pray about this. And then you be obedient. Whatever God leads you to do, that's between you and God. But as we do this together, I'll keep you updated throughout December and throughout January. And we'll begin to celebrate all that we see God is gonna do. I'm really excited to see about this in the new year, all right? But we still got two takeaways. And I told you the first one's gonna take a minute, all right? So we're good, all right? We're fine. But let's get back to plan B. Let me give you the second takeaway from our plan B teaching series. And that's this. We can keep trusting even if we don't understand. It's the story of Joseph. 
There's so many times in his story that he could have just given up on God. He's sold into slavery. He's falsely accused. He's imprisoned. He's forgotten about for 13 years. And it would have been easy for Joseph to wonder, where is God? And some of you right now, you're walking through that. You can't see God's hand. It doesn't make any sense. You're trying to understand what God is up to. And what I wanna encourage you to do today and maybe even challenge you a little bit is to keep trusting. Don't ever make your trust of God contingent upon whether or not you understand what he's up to. Because see, if you can understand what God is up to, you don't have to trust. It's only when you can't see God's hand that faith is required. So if you wait until you understand, you'll never trust. If you wait till you can see it, you won't walk by faith. And the Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God. See, some of you are in a place right now to please the heart of God. And you didn't see it till just now. But it's because you can't see what God is doing that God is saying you're in a perfect place that by your faith as you keep moving forward and by your faith as you keep trusting me, you're pleasing my heart. And one day like Joseph, I believe by faith you will be able to look back and connect some dots. You'll be able to look back and say, wait a second, and this is where it gets fun. My plan B was actually God's plan A. That's the irony of the series is that we called it plan B. And it was God's plan A all along. That God was directing Joseph's life. That God was involved every step along the way. And what seemed like a plan B reality was actually God's plan A for Joseph's life. And maybe for some of you today, that's what you're walking through. It feels like a plan B and God says, just hang on. Just keep moving forward. Just keep trusting me. And one day you too will see my sovereign hand was guiding you every step along the way. Don't you give up on God. You keep moving forward by faith. You keep trusting him. He's good. He's for you. And one day it's gonna make some sense what you're walking through right now. And then finally, our third takeaway from plan B. And this one's my favorite. Joseph isn't the point. Jesus is. Jesus is. Hey, Joseph's a great guy. I think he does a lot of awesome things in this series. I think it'll be fun one day to meet him in heaven and, and talk with him and even find out a few more details about you know, his brothers and what knuckleheads they were. I think it's gonna be good, right? I'm looking forward to that. But at the end of the day, this series isn't really about Joseph. He's just a guy, okay? But God uses the story of Joseph to point us to Jesus See, when you read the Old Testament, and I love the Old Testament, you read through the Old Testament, and we've gotta be accurate in how we read it. We need to understand and interpret it, not for what we want it to say, but for what it says. We, we can't make it say something to us that it never meant to the original audience. But see, then we get this amazing gift that we can also look at it and ask this question, how does this point us to Jesus? There are some parts of the Old Testament that do that better than others, and the story of Joseph is one of them. He said, how can we ask that question? How, how does this point us to Jesus? Well, Jesus gave us permission to do that. Luke 24, 27, I love this verse. Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he, being Jesus, interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. The context of this verse is it's post-resurrection. Jesus is on a walk to a place called Emmaus with a couple of guys, and he starts explaining to them himself and all of the Old Testament scriptures. 
remarkable. Wouldn't you have loved to be a part of that conversation that day? So when we look back on Joseph, there's some very specific things about his life that can seem interesting as it pertains to Joseph. But if you study the life of Joseph and you miss Jesus, you miss the point. These things are specific because God was using Joseph thousands of years before Jesus would ever walk on the earth through very specific details to point us to Jesus, to make sure that we wouldn't study Joseph and miss Jesus. So for example, it starts off kind of simple. Joseph is promoted to second in charge of Egypt at the age of 30, and Jesus started his public ministry at the age of 30. Joseph was betrayed by his brothers and he was sold. He was sold into slavery. Jesus was betrayed by the closest thing he had to brothers while he was here on earth. One of his disciples, Jesus was also sold for 30 pieces of silver. Joseph was imprisoned and there he met two men, a cupbearer and a baker, one who would live and one who would die. Jesus was imprisoned in the prison of the cross between two men, two thieves, one who would live and one who would die. See, when, when Joseph encountered his brothers, he said, what you intended to harm, God intended for good. And on that fateful day when people cried, crucify him, they intended for that to harm Jesus. And God said, but I'm gonna use it for good to pay for your sins. See, Joseph's brothers bowed down at his feet so that they could receive bread. And then Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. And it's at my name that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that I'm Lord. When given the opportunity to seek revenge, Joseph forgave his brothers. And as Jesus hung on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. But see, the greatest way that Joseph points us to Jesus is through his tomb. Joseph lived to be 110 years old. His entire family came from Israel and settled with him. We talked about that in the series. In Goshen, a region of Egypt. Jacob, his father, his brothers, all of their families. And archeologists have found where Joseph's family lived in Goshen. They know it's Joseph's, they know it's where Joseph lived for a couple of reasons. One, it's incredibly large. It's a large family compound that only someone of great means would have been able to supply. And we know that, that Joseph had that for 80 years. They also know that this is where Joseph and his family lived. And, and this is interesting because of pottery. Like archeologists can tell that this pottery is not native to Egypt. It only would have been brought from someone who traveled from a foreign land to settle here. Now these archeologists are not followers of Jesus. They're just studying the evidence. And yet they're telling the biblical account that a family must have settled here from somewhere else. But the greatest indication that this is where Joseph's family lived is when they discovered this elaborate tomb. And you learn from history that elaborate tombs are not unique in Egypt, they're everywhere. The Egyptians figured out early on how to preserve bodies and how to preserve bones. And this elaborate tomb where Joseph would have lived that was discovered, what was different about this particular tomb from every other tomb that's been discovered in ancient Egypt is that it was empty. There's nothing in it. 
And see, this matches the biblical account because before Joseph died, he made his sons promise him. Whichever generation of our family returns to Israel, returns to the promised land, make them take my bones with them and bury my bones beside my father Jacob. And as you read through the book of Exodus, that's exactly what God's people did. That before Moses led them out of Egypt through the parted waters of the Red Sea, scripture says that they dug up Joseph's bones, they took them back to the promised land and they buried his bones beside his father Jacob. And Joseph's tomb is empty. And there's another tomb that's empty too. But see, Jesus' tomb isn't empty because somebody took the bones to bury them beside his father. Jesus' tomb is empty because he is seated at the right hand of his father right now. Right now. And as we receive communion together today as a church family, so many times when we receive communion, we go to the cross and we should. This is where Jesus' body was broken for us. It's where he shed his blood for us. But perhaps today, we could focus on the empty tomb, on our resurrected Savior. Yes, he paid for our sin, but he walked out of the tomb. And he's alive today. And it's because of that that we can worship him. And it's because of that that we can thank him for allowing his body to be broken for us on the cross. When Jesus allowed his body to be broken on the cross, his blood was shed for the payment of our sins. And one of his disciples didn't buy it. His name was Thomas. Until Jesus showed him the scars on his hands and on his side from which his blood had spilled. See, Jesus was alive then and Jesus is alive now. And for some of you, that matters because you've been looking everywhere to find your hope. And if you come to church and you hear about a guy named Joseph who lived in a foreign land thousands of years ago and you think that's a cool Bible story that kids can learn and you can memorize a few fun facts from it and you never get to a place in your life where you recognize your need for a risen savior, you're missing the point. You're missing the point. Jesus died for you. He died for you. And then he walked out of the tomb and that matters because see, only the person who defeated death can offer you eternal life. And it's a free gift that he gladly offers to you that must be received by faith. And so as we receive the cup today, we're reminded of that and we're reminded that our risen savior is alive. And so Jesus, we say thank you for your faithfulness to go to the cross. We say thank you for defeating death because it's because of your defeat of death then that we can walk in victory now. And Lord, for some of us, that's what we need to do. We've been kind of wallowing around in our plan B for far too long, giving the enemy way too much credit. And in this moment, we just wanna call in the name of Jesus and say, from this day forward, I'm gonna walk in victory. From this day forward, I'm gonna worship you, God, for who you are. From this day forward, I'm not gonna try to figure out what you're up to before I trust you. You've got my trust already, let's go. And so God, as we worship you right now, would you speak to us? Because God, we need to hear from you. We need to be reminded of who you are, the faithfulness that you've shown in the past and the faithfulness you will continue to show us in the future. We pray all of these things in the name of Jesus the only name that saves. 
Amen.